how many of you understand that there are two types of people in the world. So, some people say there's two types of people in the world. There's winners, there's losers. Sometimes people say there's two types of people in the world because there's two ways of seeing this. So how many of you see this as half empty? You just, you raise your hand, so that, that's me. I'm maybe a little more pessimistic in life. Like it's, not a down, it's not like a statement against you. How many of you would say this is kind of like half full? And, and you're saying, okay, maybe a little more lean toward the optimistic side. Um, can we all agree that whatever your favorite drink is, just kind of think about your favorite drink, if you had this, That's better, right? Can we all agree on that? I want you to keep that in mind tonight as we look, as we continue in this uh, series in Colossians. And if you're new to church and, and maybe new to Elements specifically, so uh, glad that you're here. And uh, we started this series last week. You can always go back online and catch up on the, on the messages and kind of see everything we put up there every week. But we kind of give a backdrop of the book of Colossians last week. And we're going to continue in chapter one this week. We're spending this time looking through this incredible um, this incredible work of the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit being inspired by this to write this for the church there in Colossae and really for the church of us today because a lot of the things they were dealing with, struggling with, uh, maybe the cultural turmoil that they were in back then, gosh, there's just so much of that even here today that we wrestle with. And there's some theology that Paul wants to get across to those early believers and to those that have kind of linked their life to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you're not a person that's really said yes to Jesus yet. You're kind of investigating who he is. And I think that's awesome that you're owning your faith. And we want to be a place where you can begin to experiment and kind of learn and, and kind of experience Jesus maybe in a fresh way for you. And, and I think this book, as we kind of go through it, could really help you see Jesus in a fresh way. And that's my prayer for you, is that you'd see whether you've been walking with Jesus for 20 years or 20 minutes, or you're not there yet, I hope you see Jesus in a brighter, more beautiful way as we make our way through this, kind of working our way toward Easter. Paul wrote this book kind of around 60 AD, most scholars believe. It's one of the four prison letters that he's most likely, scholars believe, under arrest, kind of this house arrest in Rome. I said that last week. I don't know if you know about Paul, like he preached about Jesus. Uh, he loved Jesus. It was a big deal. It got him in trouble a lot. We read a little bit of that last week from uh, Corinthians, some things that he endured and went through uh, as a person who championed Jesus. There's a lot of things that he faced. He loved the church. In fact, he gave everything he could to see the church, which was the movement of Jesus, to do so much. And so much of what we experience even today is the church. And I know there's baggage with that when you say the word church, and I get that. Rightfully so in sometimes. But the church is a beautiful movement of Jesus when done right and healthy, and we want to be that. We're not perfect. I'll be the first to tell you. We're, we're far from perfect, but we're trying to be healthy, and that's the goal, uh, to be a healthy expression of this movement of Jesus, helping people, uh, kind of what we say around here, inviting people into this life-giving, life-changing relationship with Jesus. That's what matters most to us. It's what mattered most to Paul, 
And so he writes this letter under house arrest, and most scholars believe what transpired a few uh, months or maybe a year or so down the line is that Nero uh, had him executed, uh, beheaded for his faith, beheaded uh, as kind of this insurrection guy of kind of causing trouble, and uh, really kind of about the time that Rome had been burned and Nero had blamed that on the Christians, and what great persecution broke out, and you can read history and, and discover about this, and, and Paul had written this letter to Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey, uh, up off the coast a little bit. Uh, kind of a, a thriving city at the time. Uh, as history went on, it, it kind of lost some of its prominence. But he's writing to these early believers because he's beginning to hear great reports of where they are in their faith, but also beginning to hear some of this heresy, some of this early Gnostic teaching, this other toxic teaching that's beginning to take place because it's a culture of great religious diversity. And in the context of that, some people had begun teaching some different things that were contrary to what Jesus really taught and what he was about. And so Paul wants to lay out some real clear understanding of who Jesus is. And he wants them to have a full understanding of that. And so he's gonna write some words here as he begins. The first part of Colossians is really about theology, about understanding that, things that he prayed for. And the second kind of half of Colossians is really some implications now of how this applies to life. And so that's kind of the broad overview. And what he's saying here is, look, the gospel is never just a good idea. And in some ways, uh, folks had kind of taken the gospel and said, well, that's, that's a really nice idea. But the gospel is so much more than just a good idea among many other good ideas. In fact, we said this last week, that the gospel is really God's necessary hand of intervention, an invitation of rescue to a people who were sinking and in trouble left to themselves. That the gospel, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the whole reason of why he came, all of that put together, and the hope he extends that you, by faith in him, can have life with God, That's the gospel. All of that together, and that seems complex, but what Paul's wanting you to understand is, hey, here's some things that go. In fact, uh, he doesn't come out directly and say, here's the heresy that he's gonna counteract with some of this theological teaching, but in a lot of ways, scholars have kind of narrowed it down to a few key things. One is that the Colossians had begun to have an inferior view of who Jesus was. That maybe he wasn't fully uh, all that you needed for redemption, that maybe there were some other things that ha- had to go on. There were some heretics that were saying, well, maybe Jesus is not quite all there. He's a little bit less than, and Paul's writing to say, no, no, don't miss this. In fact, in a couple weeks after Serve Sunday, we'll come back and look at this beautiful, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture about who Jesus really is and what the Scriptures say uh, is his majesty and his beauty. And I hope you are captured by it again. Some of the early false teaching that was going on there was also this idea of beware of plausible uh, kind of philosophies that were out there that were kind of saying, well, you need this or you need that. Some heresy apparently kind of involved in observations of traditions or other things that you needed to take place or uh, maybe this idea of uh, asceticism, this idea of deprivation of the body, that the body and material things were evil and that uh, spiritual things were the only good things. And we know that's not true. God made everything around us. There's a lot of broken in the world, but Paul's writing to kind of say, no, this isn't about that. This false teachers were claiming that you needed to have special knowledge, kind of this idea of, okay, you could have the gospel, but you gotta have this a little bit more in order to have the secret knowledge of God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 the gospel is all you need. 
And, and so he's wanting people to understand that. So he's writing a case for this. But I love how he starts. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 9. Or if you have your uh, phones, you can look on version. You can kind of follow along there. If you just click on events, search for Element City Church, you can find all that stuff there. But I want to read through this, and we're going to kind of unpack a little bit of what Paul is driving at in this prayer. Because what he does is he begins this letter by complimenting them, not kind of lamb-blasting them for things that he's hearing, but he's complimenting, he's beginning to see their spiritual potential. That's what we looked at last week. Beyond just their spiritual performance of the moment. And now he prays for them. Here's what he says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all of wisdom and understanding of the Spirit so that you may live a wor- living life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, that you may give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in this kingdom of the light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul writes these words. What's fascinating is he didn't say to Epaphras, who was the guy who started this church, who's coming back and reporting to Paul what's going on, and Paul is so excited to hear, but he's also hearing about these heresies, these false teachings that are beginning to take place in the culture around and beginning to maybe even seep their way into the church, and he's gonna counteract that here, but what he doesn't say to Epaphras is, hey, what are the needs of the people? Like, how are they doing? He, he doesn't ask about specific needs. Is anyone sick? Is anyone struggling financially? He, he doesn't say, like, how's the church doing? Do you have enough furniture? Like, he doesn't ask about all these things that we think about asking, those immediate needs. Like, let's be honest, okay? Think about your prayer life. It, most of your prayers, my hunch is, are about things that you need immediately, correct? Mine too. And it's not that we can't do that. Paul actually writes elsewhere, hey, present all your requests to God. God already knows what you need. You can bring your request to him. But what's fascinating here is Paul doesn't pray for their immediate needs list. He actually prays for what they need the most. Because Paul is a spiritual father. And as a spiritual father, as a spiritual teacher and pastor, he wants them to do what he says in verse 10. Here's what he says. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And so Paul says, I want that for you most. So I'm praying that you would be filled. And the word filled there is axios, and it's this Greek word that talks about like full to the brim. This idea that there wouldn't be anything lacking. There wouldn't be space for any gaps that you would be so filled up with the knowledge of God through the spirit of wisdom and revelation that he would give you, that you would know what God wants you to do so that you would live a life worthy of the calling that you've been given as a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul's writing, and that's what he's praying. It's fascinating that he prays for these people, and I think this prayer is timeless. It's, in fact, if you've ever struggled with your prayers, being more than just a a laundry list of things that you need, 
here's my strongest encouragement to you. Go through the letters of Paul and just pray what he prayed for the church. Pray it for yourself. Take these verses and say, okay, God, I want this, and just pray it for yourself. Because what Paul is doing here is he's not just praying for the needs of the people, what they were clamoring about. What he's praying most of is for what they needed the most. At the very core of who they were and the journey that they were on, he's praying not just for them to get better because of the sickness they have. That's okay. We can bring a request to God. But he's praying so much deeper than that for what they need the most as the spiritual father. Ephesians chapter four, Paul wrote this. He says, he's gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and leaders for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to be the building up to the body of Christ, which is the church. This wasn't just a laundry list of, hey, if you have an ailment, let's pray for that. That's okay to pray for. But Paul's reaching deeper here. And he's praying for these people. He's praying that they would be filled to the knowledge of God. They would be filled up to the point that there wouldn't be anything lacking. So that, anytime you see the word so that in the Bible or anywhere else, you read backwards and you go, why is that there? So that, okay, filled with the knowledge, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Paul is the spiritual father saying, I want you to live with this weight. Uh, the Bible, when it talks about this idea that walking with the Lord, this idea of living in a way where you'd please him, that you would walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, it's this idea of progress and growth. It's this concept of, of the way you live your life, your whole life, would be this continual progress of growing in who you are in Jesus and living more and more in alignment with him. It's this context of saying, I, I want to grow as a follower of him. I want to make progress. I want to, take, um, I want to take steps to grow in this. It is never this idea that you would get to the place where you'd be worthy enough to be acceptable before God. Because you're not. <laughs> Neither am I. That's why Jesus came. So that through faith in him, we are now hidden in Christ we are totally acceptable before God because of what Jesus did. That's what makes me acceptable. It's not me living a worthy life and doing more and more and more in order to get acceptance from God. This is about accepting the, the, the beautiful gift of the gospel of Jesus that I'm now made right with God because of what Jesus did. And now I can live a life worthy of the calling that's been given to me. Uh, picture it this way. Uh, you've seen those old scales that have like the two plates and it's kind of this weight and it. You put this giant weight on one side and what happens to the scale, right? You put the weight here, right? And what's happening is the gospel is given to us and we can find our hope and acceptance and life with God through what Jesus did. It's this incredible weight. And what Paul is saying is now let your living begin to kind of be a weight that counterbalance this incredible weight that you've been given. You don't try to earn your way, you just, you've already got it. Now let your living actually reflect the weight of what you've been given and let it be pleasing to God and how you live your life. Does that mean perfection? No, this is about walking and living in that way. 
which is all about growth and about progress, not perfection, because perfection's not real. Progress is real. That's where we begin to walk out our life of living a faith walk with Jesus, beginning to have this idea that I, I live with a waiter, uh, <clears throat> I live with this weight that says how I live matters. See, before you become a believer, you live for yourself. And as a person who accepts what Jesus has done for you, you now live to please someone else than just yourself. That's what Paul's saying. Let your life now be this worth that, that says you've been given this incredible gift, you have life with God. Now let your life be a reflection of the beautiful gift you've been given. And let it manifest itself in all the ways that you go. Uh, this prayer continues, and Paul kind of lays out four different things that he's praying for. And, and I want us to see this, because I think these four things uh, are really critical uh, to if you want to continue to grow in your faith journey, maybe these would be four things to kind of adopt and own on your own, to say, how can I pray this for myself, and how can I pray this for the people that matter to me? Whether that's your kids, whether that's your family, whether that's friends uh, whether in your e-group or friends that you have that are followers of Jesus, what would it be like to pray this way for the people that you love and that you care about? And so here's what Paul continues, he goes on. He says, so that you would live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. That's the first one, bearing fruit in every good work. For this idea of, Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter five. He talks about fruit, right? Remember, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, right? This idea that these attributes would become more and more a part of how you live your life. When people bump into you, they would bump into the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that God is manufacturing in your life because you're now linked with him and that everything you do would bear fruit for the gospel's sake. That that's the way Jesus operated and that you, as you live in life worthy to the Lord, you would begin to operate that way more and more. So here's the question. Am I more loving today than I was three years ago? That's a good question to ask yourself and to wrestle with. Am I more thankful today than I was three years ago? Was I a bitter, angry person three years ago? Have I made progress in this? Because that's what it means to walk in a way that's worthy to the Lord. That I'm making progress, not being perfect. You can have a bad day. How many of you have had a bad day before? It's okay to have a bad day, right? And to chalk that up and go, I mean, don't like go rob a bank or something, that's like way bad. Um, but this idea of you can have an off day. But in the midst of that, you're saying, okay God, that was an off day. Uh, let's try better tomorrow. And let's work, let me lean into who you are. Would you let me bear fruit in how I live my life? How I bear fruit in every good work that you have. I, I love what um, Ephesians chapter two says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that God has already planned for us to do. Listen, there's a lot of stuff messed up in our world, in there. <laughs> can we just laugh? Because the truth is, there's a lot of stuff messed up in our world. You don't have to watch the news even just in our country. You can watch the news anywhere. 
and there's stuff that I know probably grinds on you and it grinds on me and you're like, I just, ah. And in our digital age, where everything can be at your fingertips and on your mind, it can become overwhelming to go, what do I do? How do I bear fruit for God? Because I can't solve all these problems. I, I can't fix all these things. We have a saying around here that we lean into a lot, and it's simply this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I think if the church actually just practiced that principle, to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone, more and more, that as you go throughout your days, it's God, I can't fix every problem in the world, but here's one that you've brought to my attention. Here's one that's crossed my path, and I can step in the gap for that one, for this person for this situation, for this circumstance. I can intervene here a little bit and bear fruit. See, God has already planned in advance things for you to partner with him to do, to bear fruit, to bring his presence, his attributes, his character into that space. It's not to fix everything, but maybe it's to step into the same. Maybe it's to value the things that God values most. Here's what God, God values most, people. Here's what God values most, people. So what would it look like for you to live this week valuing what God values most? You can't value every person on the globe, but you can value the people in front of you. And you can value the people that actually uh, you can invest your time in, that you can invest your resources, your interest, your attention into. You can't do that for everyone, but you can do it for the people that God brings across your path. And that, in those moments, is where you can bear fruit for every good work that he has for you to do. It may not solve everything. Some of you may be sitting here and you have incredible dreams that God's putting in your heart to do some things on massive scales. Then, friend, you need to run with that. And how do you do that? You take baby steps. And you figure out little ways to do it here, and then you expand its influence, and then you expand its scope and you continue to run where God has for you, but you bear fruit in every good work. And then he goes on, that you would grow in knowledge of God, that you would not only bear fruit in every good work that he has for you, but that you would grow in knowledge of God, that you wouldn't just grow to get knowledge for knowledge's sake. Paul's not writing that. That's what the heresy is going on in the moment in this church, is that people were saying, you gotta have all this knowledge. You gotta have this secret knowledge that Jesus doesn't expand on. And so here's the practices that you need to do. You need to do this and these habits and you need to do these traditions in order to gain this secret knowledge. And Paul is saying, that's what Paul is saying, okay? And he's saying, no, no, no. You need to grow in knowledge of who God is and what he's like. How do you grow in knowledge of God? It's simple. You grow to know more about God and you grow to know God better. That's what it means to grow in knowledge of God. To know more about him, that's studying, that's reading. You know, for, we've been in this reading plan now for almost a month, the month of January here. We said, hey, we're gonna read through as a whole elements community, the New Testament together. Now for some of you, you're like, whoa, read the Bible crazy. Okay, that's all right. What if you just try it? What if you just said, hey, I'm gonna take five minutes a day and actually let the scriptures, not just kind of get through the scriptures, but let the scriptures get through me. And, and here's what I'm convinced throughout history. People who are growing to know God better actually spend time with God. Crazy, huh? 
to grow to know people that you're around, guess what? You gotta spend time with those people, right? That's how this happens. It doesn't like happen you know, through osmosis. It's this idea of investment. So maybe you started off and it was January 3rd, and you're like, I'm nailing it three days in a row. And you've fallen off the wagon, all right? Listen, the wagon makes several stops. Like today is what day? This is January 29, right? So like tomorrow's January what? Start again, okay? The reading plans are out there on the table. You can go to version. You could pick this up and just start. Don't feel guilty about stopping and going, oh, I gotta catch up. Listen, just start. Jesus isn't looking at you in your reading plan and saying, oh, you stink, okay? Jesus is looking at you going, look, I want you to grow in knowledge of me, which means you gotta spend time with me. And yeah, we've had a few hiccups here, but you know what? I'll be here tomorrow. Let's start then. This is why prayer time, okay? Prayer is always two-way conversation. It's not just running through a laundry list of things. God, here's all I need. Those are totally appropriate, and you should. In fact, we're told, bring our request to God. But sometimes prayer is just being quiet and listening. Maybe sometimes prayer is actually reading through the scripture and then saying, God, what's in here for me? How does this help me know more about you? And how does this help me know you better? And what you're like, and your character, and how you see the world. That's what it means to grow in knowledge of God, to grow to know him better, and not just know more about him. Uh, Paul continues, he goes to the third thing, that you would grow in your knowledge of God, and that you would be strengthened with all power according to the glorious might that is, uh, so that you may have great endurance and patience, that you may be strengthened with all power. The word power there is where the word we get dynamite, okay? Anyone ever played with dynamite? You shouldn't, um, probably, but I'm glad you're still alive if you did. Dynamite is, can we just say powerful, right? Anyone ever been to Mount Rushmore before? Okay, so we've been there as a family and it's just seen that, and to think about, I, I can't even remember when it was built, but a long time ago. And the fact that they built that thing with dynamite, right? How do you know where to place dynamite to make the nose the way it's supposed to be? I don't know, but apparently they knew. And, and they got it right for the most part. And they chipped away to, to kind of smooth out the reflections so they could see. But dynamite has great power to it. And here's what Paul's saying, that you may be strengthened in the power of God in your life, as you align your life to him, as you live out the weight of the calling that you've been given, and as you align yourself with him, you have a power in you that is bigger than your willpower. That's what he's saying. You have access to God's power in you, and God's power beats willpower all the time. For some of you, for some of, for me too, there, there may be habits or hiccups in life that you've been trying to let go of and trying to get past, and so you've worked out this whole willpower plan of, okay, here's what I'm gonna do, and you kind of map all this out, and then you keep failing or keep getting tripped up, and you wonder, man, I stink. How do I not get past this? Maybe you've been working on your willpower, and God's saying, look, I've got a power available to you. I need you to stay tapped into me. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do Some things, is that what he said? No, here's what he said, it it gets worse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, isn't that encouraging for the self-help movement? Isn't that encouraging for the American spirit? Ooh. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
to live the spiritual life, the life you really want to live, means you've gotta stay tapped into my power. And what Paul is praying for the people back then, and I think for you today, is that you would be strengthened with the power, the might of God in your life. That as you stay attached to him, stay aligned with him, that he would pour in the grace and the power that you need in the moments that you're in to face the challenges that come your way, the circumstances and scenarios that unfold before you, the hurdles that come up before you that you've gotta work your way around or over, that you've got a power available to you to tap into. And then finally he says this, that you would live with this gratefulness, you would live with this thankfulness. He goes on, here's what he says. In verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in this inheritance of his holy people as kingdom of the light, for he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his son that he loves, in whom you have redemption, this forgiveness of sins, that you would live with this gratefulness to God for all he's done for you. That's what Paul's praying, that gratitude would be a part of who they were, not just something they try to think about around Thanksgiving time, but it would be an all the time thing, that this gratitude would be fuel to them. In a lot of ways, here's what it says, living with an attitude of gratitude. Gratitude is like fuel for an active and growing faith with Jesus that we live with this gratefulness of all of what God has done for us, that we've been given, here's what Paul says, you've been given this inheritance through faith in Jesus, this inheritance that you cannot lose, you cannot squander, it cannot be stolen from you, it cannot be taken. You can't fumble it and misplace it. It's this inheritance of life with God now and forever. You have this inheritance that you didn't have to work for, you didn't have to try to earn, it was just this gift given to you. That's pretty good news, right? That you get to have life with God now and on into eternity. Well, what did you do to get that? Uh, Nothing. You just said, Jesus, I need you. That's why the gospel is this sense of intervention for a people who are drowning on their own, this sense of rescue. Paul goes on to say, you've been rescued from this kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. You've been rescued in a way. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, just because I'm old, uh, these uh, old Zorro movies, or maybe the, the remake of Zorro, and here's what would happen. Everywhere in a Zorro movie, there'd be somebody like sent to the gallows, right? And they would be on the gallows, and they would have the noose around their neck, and like the drum would be beating. There'd be the weird guy with the mask who just had this, and he was getting ready to like chop the rope, and all, like the ground would come out, and you would just hang, right? And this would happen, and then all of a sudden, Zorro would like swoop in, he'd shoot an arrow, he'd throw his sword, he'd throw a monkey. I don't know what happened in the episodes you saw, but something would happen and he would rescue this person. He would swoop in and take them to his place of safety, right? And they would escape. It's a horrible example because it doesn't magnify everything, but in essence, that's what Jesus did. In the crescendo of history, you were on the gallows. You were spiritually dead. There was nothing you could do for yourself and he swooped in and took you and rescued you and transferred you from this dominion of darkness to this dominion of light where he was and there was safety and you were there and you get to have life with him and you did nothing to get it. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the weight of the gospel because when it's weighty like that, then then it just, it echoes, it calls us to live a life worthy 
of what we've received. This isn't just a simple little thing. This is a big thing. You've been rescued and transferred. You've been redeemed. The word redeemed, he goes all the way back to the Old Testament and the 10 plagues of the people in Egypt. God is redeeming his people and pulling them out. This idea of redemption is that you are caught up in this slavery. You are locked in a condition you can never get out of. And the only way for you to escape it is for someone else to either, who is better than you, to take your place and redeem you or to do something that would honor you and remove you from that situation. And the forgiveness of your sins, that the junk that you have from your past doesn't have to be the definer of your life. And the mess-ups of the future don't have to define you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And when you live with the weight of that, then, and only then, can you understand the beauty of what Jesus has done for you and for me, for any who would receive him. And you can aim your life to say, I wanna live a life worthy of the calling and the gift that I've received. And Paul's saying, when you live with that, when you understand all God has done for you, then you can live with this incredible gratitude. Peter writes this, 1 Peter chapter two, but you are a chosen people. You didn't choose it, God chose you. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare now the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's the gospel, friends. That's the beauty of what Paul is saying, that you now have redemption, you now have been rescued, You've been bought with a price, you've been saved, you've been rescued to be. And so what he's praying for these people is that you may be filled up with the knowledge of God through his spirit of wisdom and revelation. That you would understand who you are and that what you've been given, that you've been living life worthy of the calling that you have, worthy of Jesus. And then he's praying for you and he's praying for them and he's praying for me that you would be people, that I would be a person, that would say, may you be filled up all the way to the top, not lacking anything, that you'd live this life worthy. May you understand all that you have. May you grow in knowledge of him. May you do every good work that he has planned out for you to do. May you bear fruit wherever you are. May you live with this attitude of gratitude for all God has done for you. And so here's what I'd like to pray as we move toward a time of communion. <clears throat> as a follower of Jesus, we, we do this every week, offer an opportunity, a space to take communion, to remember his life and his death, his resurrection, that it was his blood given for the forgiveness of your sins, that his body broken, taking your place, what I deserved, what you deserved. He took it so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be rescued. And so as a believer, we welcome you to, to, to partake in that. There's a couple tables down front, a couple in the middle here. If you just want space to think and contemplate and pray, maybe you want to pray this over you. I'm going to pray Paul's prayer over you as we move toward a time of communion, as we kind of lean into this, and as we worship, that we're a chosen people to now declare the praises of the one who has rescued us, that we live a life worthy of what he's called us to. So friend, may you be filled full up to the brim with the knowledge of his will, of what he desires for your life. 
may you live a life worthy of the Lord and that you would please him in every way, every day. May you bear fruit in every good work that he has for you to partner with him in. May you continue to grow in your knowledge of him, to not only know about him, but to know him better. May you be strengthened by his power to keep enduring and to be patient in this life that has its challenges. That you would live with a joy-filled heart of gratitude for all he's done for you. And so Father, may that prayer be a prayer that we echo and receive this week. Father, may that prayer be a prayer that maybe we lean into this week. Maybe it's during our Bible reading time, we take a couple minutes and we just pray this prayer for ourselves. God, maybe there's one person that you're putting on our mind that you want us to pray for them. And we can pray for their needs and the things that they want, the things they desire for. But God, you want us to pray for deeper things. And God, I pray for us as a church. May we be a church, a people, who are bearing good fruit everywhere we go. May our lives be worthy of the calling that you have for us. May you help us to grow in knowledge of you, not just to know more about you, but to know you better, to be relationally connected with you. May you grow our gratitude and our thanksgiving for all that you've done for us. Father, may you fill us up, not lacking anything, with everything you have for us. As we worship you now by remembering what your son has done for us, as we declare your praises with our whole heart, would you meet us and stir us afresh and anew tonight?